Welcome to Gruesome. This episode is going to be different from any of the episodes we've done before, because not only do we have a special guest, St. Karen, fresh in town from the bayou, but instead, <laughs> Karen, say, say hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of just doing one case, we're going to end this hell of a year, year. <laughs> by taking you through the most notorious cases from each year of this decade. And spoiler alert, it didn't start in 1990 like I thought it did. <laughs> she was like, okay, so do we start in 1990 or 1991? And I was like, nope, it was 2010. That was 10 years ago. And then we so all now, cried. Now, now I feel so old. <laughs> And I'm going to hang on to my mall madness that Megan got me in my caboodle and cry myself to sleep. Oh, that was really funny. Your that face. Was so, your face was. I was. It was. I was shocked. I was like, wait, <laughs> wait a second. All right. So we're going to start with 2010's biggest crime headline. To us, we're going to go with Gilgo Beach, the murders of Gilgo Beach. There's also people also call it the Craigslist Ripper started December 11th, 2010, when a Suffolk police officer and a cadaver dog were doing routine exercises and looking for Shannon Gilbert. They found a woman's body several feet north of Ocean Parkway on Gilgo Beach. And two days later, police found another and then another one and then another one. And then by 2000, 2011, in April, they had a total of 10 sets of remains pulled from the area, and Gilbert's body was finally found in December of 2011. Even though her, Shannon's, her disappearance prompted that initial search, police say Gilbert's cause of death was undetermined and not tied to the other bodies, which I don't really believe, but oh well. So there's, what is crazy about this one is because like there's like a solid divide in between, like between investigators, like some people who are like, this is definitely the work of one serial killer. And then there's other people who are like, oh, no, there's like up to three. Like a bunch of copycats, you think? Was that or it? just like, no, like they just happened to be like separate murders. <laughs> We're all just throwing our bodies away on the same yeah. beach. It's like, what the heck is going on at Gilgo Beach? Like, who was like, uh, you know what? This is a good place. Let's just start. Is there like an underground crime place where they're talking about these things? <laughs> here's where you, here's where you got to go, man. But I can't even imagine being one of those investigators where it's like, okay, we have one body. Nope, we have two. Or nope. when they found <laughs> two victims' torsos. In yeah. the early 2000s, just the torsos, and then they found a head and hands and a forearm and just yeah. all their body parts all the way and, starting in 1996. And what, they just released uh, a few years ago, pictures of a belt? Yeah, and the case is still unsolved. Yeah, still unsolved. So And you know it was a big deal because they did a Law & Order SVU episode. <laughs> so <laughs> They did. Pretty legit. Indeed. All right. So we're going to head into 2011, the case that everybody was following back then, the trial of Casey Anthony. Ugh, what a jerk. So for anyone who's been living under a rock for the past 10 years, in 2008, Cindy Anthony called the police to report her granddaughter missing, stating that she had not seen her granddaughter in 31 days and that her daughter's car smelled like someone died in it. So after lying to the police about her daughter being kidnapped by her nanny, which there was never any nanny, Casey Anthony had been saying that she was working at Universal, like she had told her parents this for years, but she had gotten fired years before. So there wasn't, she didn't even have a job. She Casey Anthony, 
bag. Yeah. Casey Anthony was arrested in July of 2008 on the charges of giving false statements to law enforcement, child neglect, and obstruction of a criminal investigation. One month later, after Casey had been released on bail, the remains of Kaylee Anthony were discovered in the woods near the Anthony's home. Casey was once again arrested and charged with first-degree murder, and the prosecution pursued the death penalty. It wasn't until 2011 when Casey Anthony went to trial, where over 400 pieces of evidence were presented, including testimony regarding the evidence of decomposition in the trunk of her car, where a single strand of hair that was most likely is what the term was, matched Kaylee's to the Google searches of breaking a neck and how to make chloroform from Casey's computer. Casey Uh, began... Yeah. Sorry, this one just so mad. (laughs) Yeah. Defense presented that it was an accidental drowning and that her own Casey's dad covered up the accident and they painted Casey as like this victim who her dad had like molested her since she was eight. So that's why she kept the secret because it's something that she always was always did which is not true her dad took the stands like i've never molested my daughter she's everyone actually didn't know that about that case that that's weird everyone thought it was a cut and dry case but it took the jury less than 11 hours to rock the entire nation with their not guilty verdicts for the counts of first degree murder one count of aggravated manslaughter of a child and one count of child abuse like they couldn't even give her manslaughter that's nope She was sentenced to time served for her four guilty counts of providing false information to law enforcement, but she wasn't, it was just like she was released. Yeah, I know. She's a free lady. <laughs> Everyone knows. She's a free lady. I think she had another kid. Well, and you know she lived with her attorney for a while, too. Mm-hmm. That's it's, suspicious. That's, that's weird. suspicious. <laughs> and what's weird about this case, this is one of those where they could never determine an exact cause of death for Kaylee. And that is where, that's where they didn't have their ace in the hole. Like, and it goes to show, like, just how powerful, just reasonable doubt is in a case. Yep. Because it, in a case that big it, the, they didn't deliberate for very long this case was dubbed the social media case of the decade and i remember seeing it plastered everywhere yeah it i was remember everywhere. watching it everywhere. yeah her in that button-up shirt with a face that needed bitch slapped that's what like, i remember you just look like a little <laughs> mm. turd burglar mm-hmm. that's what i think of you casey anthony i think you're a turd burglar uh okay 2012 moving on on to 2012 the sandy hook shooting december 14th 2012 um around 9 30 20 year old adam lanza shot through the plate glass window next to sandy hook's locked front door and gained access to the school. They heard the noise and the school principal and psychologist came out to investigate and they were both shot and killed by Lanza with a semi-automatic rifle. Lanza shot and wounded two other Sandy Hook staff members. He then entered two first grade classrooms where he gunned down two teachers, 15 students in one room and two teachers and five students in another room. The kids that he murdered, there were 12 girls and eight boys. They were only six and seven years old. They were little. Makes oh, me so sad. And then when Lanza heard the police closing in on him, he killed himself in a classroom at 9.40 a.m. So in 10 minutes. Yeah, 10 he minutes. Just, ugh, that's awful. And then there was the whole stupid Alex Jones thing where he 
where he was like, it was a conspiracy. And these kids' parents have been heckled for years since this happened. Yeah. And I have a first grader. Like, I have a first grader. And the thought of some monster coming into his classroom is terrifying. Yeah. It's so scary. We've... Especially when you live in like smaller towns where like you don't have plate glass windows, you know, you just have, you can open the door and walk in if you need to. So my son's school is like all one floor and we have had the conversation many times of, because they have the drills, they have the, you know, where they, it's like an active shooter and they've been having these, my oldest is in fifth grade and he's been having them since he was in like kindergarten. And we have the understanding. I was like, I do not care what anyone says to you. Go out the window. If you can, you need to leave because I feel like a lot of times kids are sitting ducks when they're that young they're scared I remember having that conversation at my kitchen table when he was in kindergarten when y'all were down and we gave him permission like go rogue like you do not have to listen (laughs) just go that's the only time I'm gonna tell you not to listen to your teacher is if they're asking you if you can hear someone coming and you don't hear anyone outside you leave because 90% of the time it's an isolated gunman and nope you just leave if you can get out the window leave ugh that one was that that's not that high school not like I don't want to say that if it's a situation like Columbine it makes it any better because they're more more vulnerable it's all about the vulnerability of a child and like the Columbine shooters were heavily I'm not making excuses for them at all but like they had their in their head they had their reasons for what they did why they did what they did and there was no motive for Adam Lanza he he also had killed his mom too his mom was dead at their house and I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast remembers that that case as well even like that attack I, I don't even know how to word that it was very much a like where were you moment like i remember mm-hmm. leaving the commissary and like checking my phone before driving home and that's the yeah. first thing that popped up i was at tj Maxx, and it was because my my oldest was like two at the time and that's like it's scary to think about at that point i was like i'm not ever sending him to school <laughs> no school for you friend i was ever. at work I was at work. I was, I think I was right driving home after my shift and I heard it on the radio. It's, ugh. I know that one sucks. They, I mean, these all suck. But <laughs> well, moving right on to mass murder events, mass murders. Um, in the 2013, the biggest headline of the year was the Boston Marathon bombing. Again, if you've lived under a rock, I'll kind of give you a brief synopsis of it. Uh, The Boston Marathon bombing was a terrorist attack that occurred on April 15th, 2013. The Boston Marathon is a popular, obviously everyone knows about the Boston Marathon. It's held on Patriots Day, which commemorates the 1775 battles of Lexington and Concord that kicked off the Revolutionary War. It's celebrated on the third Monday in April. It's a legal holiday in Massachusetts. So this is a huge deal. People come from all over the world. This is one of the biggest races in the entire world every year. They usually have over 23 thousand participants. So on this day, the elite women runners started at 932, while the top male runners and the first wave of thousands of other runners, while the top male runners and the first wave of thousands of other runners followed at 10 a.m. Additional waves of runners took off at 1020 and 1040 at approximately 249 that afternoon, with more than 5,600 runners still in the race, two pressure cooker bombs packed with shrapnel.
shrapnel and hidden in backpacks among the crowds of marathon watchers exploded within seconds of each other near the finish line. The blast instantly turned what is like a great day. Completing the Boston Marathon is a huge accomplishment. Yes, I have an aunt that did it and we still talk. We're still like, yeah, she ran the Boston Marathon. Three spectators died, a 23-year-old woman, a 29-year-old woman, and an eight-year-old boy, while more than 260 other people were wounded. 16 people lost legs, and the youngest amputee was a seven-year-old baby little girl. Mm. And I still remember the manhunt, the night vision videos that they were doing when they were closing in. because and every, like, people were circling pictures of people and sending them out over social media, and, like, there was that one guy that it wasn't. That was crazy. Yeah. There was an intense manhunt, but police captured one of the suspects, 19-year-old Zokar Sarnev, and I apologize. Well, I don't apologize if I mispronounced (laughs) it, but anyone who has that name, I apologize if I pronounced it. And his older brother, fellow suspect, 26-year-old Tamerlan Sarsnev, died following a shootout with law enforcement. So one survived, one was killed. Um, They concluded that the brothers who spent a part of their childhoods in the former Soviet Republic of Kyrgyzstan planned and carried out the attack on their own and they were not connected to any terrorist groups. Because at that point, like when it first happened, they were like, okay, this is very obvious, a terrorist attack. And we... Ooh, which group? Al-Qaeda, ISIS, you know, like, what is it? But it was just two douchebags. Two assholes taking it upon themselves. And that is, like, the videos. I mean, you can still look up the videos of it where you see them just walking with their stupid little backpacks and they just drop them and they just keep going. Like, it's not a big deal. Oh, man. I just don't know what goes through people's heads to do stuff like that. It's just so wild to me. I never, so I never even entertained the idea of being around a bag that doesn't have a person connected to it. See something, say something. Like all the signs at the airport. Like Mm -hmm. you see it. A random bag just chilling. Call someone. Yeah, I'm going to call them after I leave, though, because I'm not standing around to be like, whoop. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Somebody filled this pressure cooker with shrapnel. All right. So 2014, the Slender Man stabbings. Oh, this one sucks, too. It does. So Slender Man started in 2009. It was from a creepypasta, which if you don't remember a creepypasta, I, do they still do creepypastas on like Reddit? You know, I don't know. I don't either. I have to ask my husband. <laughs> Essentially, you just posted scary stories or things that were scary. They could be real. They could be made up. Slender Man is fictional. Um, fictional. He's, he's a fictional. He's a fictional character. Long, slender, faceless specter who stalks children. Um... And it inspired a 2018 movie starring Joey King. But on May 30th, which is my birthday, by the way. Oh, (laughs) I didn't even realize. I mean, I know your birthday, but I didn't even realize that. When I was going to do this one, it was my birthday. Yeah. Sorry. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. May 30th, 2014, Peyton Lutner and Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire had a sleepover for Geyser's birthday. So fellow Gemini. And Geyser's mother recalls that on the night of the sleepover, they were just doing 12-year-old girl stuff, running up and down the stairs, giggling all around. And Morgan and Anissa had developed an obsession with Slender Man, and they wanted to live in his mansion with the children he abducted. Which, this is like the weirdest, like, fandom. Yeah. <laughs> story it's I've not like, heard. I want to follow One Direction, and I'm going to stalk them. It's or like, like, no. I want Edward Cullen to make me a vampire. It's Slender Man. Yeah. I mean, some people did believe that, though. (laughs) 
Okay. I have no idea who would have thought about that. <laughs> I mean, not me. Not me. <laughs> it was both of them. Both of us. Guilty. <laughs> so the day after the sleepover, Peyton was pinned down and those girls stabbed her 19 times. They had like went out to the woods and they stabbed her 19 times in the arms, legs, torso with like a five inch long kitchen knife. And that little girl dragged herself out of the woods because tell them about yeah the wounds that she had yeah two of them were to major organs one missed her major artery of her heart by less than a millimeter and the other one went through her diaphragm and cut into her liver and stomach wire and geyser told lutner that they would find help but they didn't they just left and so she dragged herself out and a cyclist found her and called 911. Anissa and Morgan were apprehended at a furniture store, and the knife that they used was in a bag they were carrying. And Morgan didn't feel any empathy. Anissa felt guilty for stabbing her, but she felt like she needed to attack her to appease Slenderman. So obviously, these little girls are like uh, mentally sad. ill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, they had planned that attack for six months so that they could prove them prove themselves to slender man anissa believed that she had seen him while she was on the bus she was supposed to go to trial but she took a last minute plea deal and pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of attempted second degree intentional homicide as part of that deal a jury heard her insanity defense and they the jury was going to decide if she was responsible and should be sent to prison or not guilty by reason of mental defect. And in 2017, so three years after that, they found her not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, which I am kind of on board with that. She was sentenced to 25 years in a mental institution. Um, And Morgan Geyser's lawyers also cut a deal with prosecution. She pleaded guilty to attempted first degree intentional homicide. Mm-hmm. She was sentenced to a four-year commitment in this institution. And one, I'm going to add her to the list of fellow Gemini murderers or <laughs> attempted murderers that I know. So your it's your odds are st- stacking up against you, Meg. But besides the point, Just um, stay on my good side, I guess. <laughs> they are still trying to appeal their. Like, I know psychiatric- they just had one last year, yeah. right? Yeah, was it this year? I think no, I think it was this year in like September, maybe. It all feels like this year is like four years long. So honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, they it did not go. Their appeal didn't get. They're still yeah. And what's crazy is when they they interviewed the two girls. Morgan was like, "Oh yeah, so like we were trying to kill her. Like not like they were acting like it was not a big deal like, at all. No big deal. Or just well, they've been planning it for so long. It probably wasn't. You know, like in their head, they were gonna do it. I, I'm they, just like that girl must be so." T- tough to get stabbed that many times and just yeah. like be like Mm-mm, not today i watched a video like an interview that she did where she said that she still sleeps with like broken scissors under her pillow because like she's still so scared which uh, rightfully so that's but insane that i can't believe they planned it for six months when i was 12 i could barely figure out like what am i mm-hmm. doing friday yep yep 2015's biggest crime headline in our humble opinion and also the only opinions that matter in this podcast because <laughs> It's our podcast. (laughs) But the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Gypsy Rose, who was born in 1991, was a baby when her mom first started being a psychopath, claiming that her doctor, her claiming that her daughter had sleep apnea. And it just progressed from there. By the time Gypsy was eight years old, 
Dee Dee Blanchard described her as suffering from leukemia, muscular dystrophy, said that she required a wheelchair and a feeding tube. And the list of medical problems that she said her daughter had included seizures, asthma, hearing and visual impairments. And due to Dee Dee's actions, Gypsy was prescribed tons of medications. She had to use a breathing machine. She also went through multiple surgeries, including procedures on her eyes and removal of her salivary glands. When Gypsy's teeth rotted, and they think that maybe it was because of all the medications that she had or neglect or the fact that she had no salivary glands, they were all pulled out. So yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. However, the truth was that Gypsy could walk. She didn't need a feeding tube. She didn't have cancer. She didn't have anything wrong with her. Her, her. She was bald and everyone assumed it was from like her chemo, but like her mom was shaving her hair. And experts believe that one of Karen's favorite illnesses, <laughs> Dee Dee, <laughs> not that she has it, but one of the most fascinating <laughs> ones that she talks about, that Dee Dee had a mental illness known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. So if you don't know what that is, it's like where you pretend someone else is sick to get like the sympathy of either caring for them or like the sympathy for your child that is, it's kind of like you want people to feel sorry for you. Well, okay, and then so- like the, the craziest is too, is sometimes it's not pretending. They like legitimately believe that their child yeah. or whoever loved one yep. um, is sick. And that's what's even scarier. She would doctor hop. So like as soon as someone started getting sick, suspicious, she'd be like, wait a second, gonna go to a different doctor. And then Hurricane Katrina hit. So she claimed to be a victim of Hurricane Katrina, which explained why she didn't have any medical records. So she and Gypsy received assistance to relocate from Louisiana to Missouri back in 2005. There, Dee Dee continued to bring Gypsy to doctor's appointments. And like I said, she used hurricane the hurricane as an excuse for missing medical files. And in 2008, Gypsy and Dee Dee moved into a new home in Springfield, Missouri that was built by Habitat for Humanity. So it was built for them because they were having a rough time. It was painted pink. It had a wheelchair ramp. And Habitat for I don't know if you know, but like Habitat for Humanity, like the houses are built by members of the community. Mm-hmm. So they were in, they also received benefits that included like concerts trips to Disney World. And like all along, Dee Dee was just loving the attention that she was getting for being a devoted caretaker. Everyone was like, oh, Dee Dee, you do such a good job. I'm so sorry that you like have to deal with this. Dee Dee told Gypsy's dad that Gypsy had a rare genetic disorder and that's why she had so many issues. And so he also was like, she's doing a great job of taking care of, you know, my daughter. Yep. Um, But... Teenagers going to be teenagers, can't hold them down for long. And in 2011, she tried to escape her mom because she started realizing, like, wait a second. I'm fine. I she saw her neighbor, her friends that were neighbors, like, going out and doing stuff. And she's like, I want to do that. And I can't do that. So Dee Dee had altered Gypsy's birth certificates to even make her seem younger than what she was. In 2011, she ran away with a man she had met at a science fiction convention, which can relate. I would do the same. <laughs> But she tracked them, Dee Dee tracked them down um, via mutual friends. She convinced the man that Gypsy was a minor, but she was 19. She wasn't a minor. So this guy's like, oh, crap. Nope, 
not for me, but like she was of age. Gypsy later said that Dee Dee smashed her computer, physically restrained her to a bed so she couldn't leave, and that her mother would also sometimes hit her, deny her food. And she had a feed, like we said, she had a feeding tube. So that's just the whole the whole idea of it's insane. Yeah, it's great. But again, can't keep a teenager down. She eventually found another way to get online and she joined a Christian dating site where she met Nicholas Goodjohn. She told him the truth about everything her mother had done to her. She told her mom she wanted to go to the movies and they met there, had sex in the bathroom for her first time. Gypsy wanted to be away from her mom, so she convinced Nicholas to kill her mom. And he, <sighs> there are reports like he was on the spectrum and like he had his own mental health oh, issues, clearly. I mean, he met a girl and she's like, kill my mom. And he's like, okay. I'll do it because we're in love. Yep. Or in June 2015, he came to Gypsy and Didi's house and he stabbed Didi while Gypsy waited in the bathroom. She had like her ears covered, whatever. That's what they say happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they say. Huh. Gypsy and him returned back to his home and they were found by the police because his mom was like, whoa, what the hell? Nope. And then not like they added to it like Gypsy wrote on Facebook because Gypsy and Dee Dee shared a Facebook. So she, D- Gypsy wrote on there, that bitch is dead. I remember that part of the story. But, well, I mean, I remember, I remember a lot of it. I'm also on, I'm not like totally on Gypsy's side, but I'm mostly on Gypsy's side. Like, No, I agree. I agree. I think but, I think a lot of people fail Gypsy because the Munchausen's oh, diagnosis was like all in the medical records. Yeah, absolutely. And, and child protection came to the house and obviously um, yeah. wasn't effective. Yeah, no, obviously. So Gypsy and Nick are both still in jail because as soon as she got arrested, when the cops arrested him, they thought they were getting some frail girl who was kidnapped. That that was the whole thing at first. They thought she had been kidnapped and they arrest them and she stands up and they're like, wait a second. <laughs> who the, what, what the hell? It? What the hell? And as soon as they got, so she had told him like, we're, we're in this together. We're in this. But as soon as they got into the inve- or the she interrogation room, she's like, he did this. Yeah. He did all of it. And he had, he took, he took the fall and he got a hell of a lot longer than she did. They're obvious. They're not together. She's actually engaged to a pen pal that she met because she had a documentary air and they did a great mini series on Hulu called The Act. Another, another Joey King. Yeah. Joey King. Joey King I was going to say, bringing it back to Joey King. <laughs> but I don't know. Like if you get the chance to watch it, I watch it. It's great. It's a great mini series. And I remember this case. I remember the sheriff like doing a press conference and it was very theatrical because at the end it's like, and she can walk and then mic drop. (laughs) Yeah. Because they were trying, like the defense were trying to paint her as like, oh, which I get. I could not imagine going through those things and my mom do them for me. But I also feel like Gypsy didn't tell anybody either. Besides this guy that she met, she was around other people. She went to the doctors to be like, hey, I need help. Like that's what I mean. Doctors are doctors for a reason. And I feel like to an extent, she liked getting the things that she was getting as well until she realized that there was a life outside of her mom. Until she realized she was like, dang, I want to date boys. Yeah. Be like that. It'd be like that sometimes. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. You ready for 2016? No, this was the worst one. I Yeah. This is awful. The Pulse nightclub shooting um, on June 11th. Pulse, which was, is, they reopened it, didn't they? I don't remember that part. This gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida at the time, and they were hosting Latin Night, a weekly Saturday night event drawing a Latin 
a Latina Latin X crowd of about 320 people. And they were serving last call around 2am. And around that time, Omar Mateen arrived in the club via a rental van. He parked it in the parking lot of a neighboring shop, got out, walked toward the club armed with a Sig Sauer semi-automatic rifle, a 9mm Glock semi-automatic pistol, and around a little after two, Orlando police got reports that multiple shots had been fired inside of Pulse. An off-duty officer was working there and engaged in gun battle, which sounds horrifying with the shooter. Uh, The suspect at some point went back inside the club where more shots were fired and additional officers arrived back at 2.04. So this was like 2 a.m., 2.02, 2.04. And they entered Pulse four minutes later. They exchanged fire with Omar. And at 2.09, a warning appeared on the club's Facebook page. Everyone get out of Pulse and keep running. Some... People that were wounded just played dead on the dance floor. Oh, that's awful. Makes me so sad. Yeah. Others barricaded themselves in the bathroom stalls and they were texting their loved ones for help. The gunmen paced around the rear of the club, laughing and shooting at bodies that were already on the ground. And Mateen identified himself as an Islamic soldier and he threatened to detonate explosives, including a car bomb and a suicide vest, the kind, quote, used in France and he was talking about the Paris terrorist attacks that had happened the November uh, November 2015 so searches inside and outside of the club failed to turn up any of those items and Mateen is also believed to have spent time during his siege of the club checking Facebook and searching for Pulse uh, Orlando that's the part that I was like you've got to be kidding like me. while you're in there doing it he wants mm-hmm. to see like the notoriety he's getting yeah um, he called a friend he texted to his wife and he made his final stand as police breached the buildings before ultimately being shot by police. 49 people were killed, 53 were injured, and the Pulse nightclub shooting is the worst mass shooting in the history of the United States. That is I remember this. Obviously we all remember this but I think that the closer we're getting to 2020, it's still fresh. This is, this feels like the fret, like the other ones that we read, I don't know, this one just feels like it just happened it was also like a hate crime yeah a huge yeah and i've read reports where like some of the victims like that's where they went to fit in that's where they felt like home they felt welcome like they felt welcome it was a good time safe that was their safe space yeah latin night at any club is a great time like it's (laughs) fun and they took that and they ruined it like they took someone's safe space and they made it this horrible massacre and like i also read where he like you said he was like walking around like laughing shooting people in the head shooting by Bodies that he had already shot when he heard the yeah when he heard the police breaching the building he went through and was like boom killed right then like killed more people yeah uh is this the um because i couldn't remember if it was this one or the boston marathon is this the case where the wife was also like maybe like uncooperative in the whole thing like i think there was allegations that she knew beforehand yes, or at least suspected that, it. that is yeah. this case yep yep i hate this case I hate it. I hate it for all of my gay friends that I have and family members. And I hate this so much. Mm. Yeah, it's a bummer one. 
Okay, you're up. We're getting yep. Just getting we're getting sadder and sadder. Yeah, 2017, taking it to Indiana, the Delphi murders. Around 1.30 on February 13th, 2017, 13-year-old Abby Williams and 14-year-old Libby German were dropped off by Libby's older sister, Kelsey, at a trailhead on County Road 300 North by its west of the Hoosier Artland Highway. The girls were hiking on the Monon High Bridge over Deer Creek in the remote Deer Creek Township. At 2.07, Libby posted a picture of Abby walking the bridge and that was the last time they were heard from their families went to pick them up because i guess that this is an area where it's very common to like okay i'm gonna drop you off you're gonna hike this area we're gonna meet back and at 5 30 they were reported missing because they hadn't been heard from they they were supposed to meet um libby's father at around 3 15 and they didn't show up the families searched the area they thought maybe they had fallen someone had gotten hurt and then they didn't see them so that's when they called the police authorities who quickly searched the area did not initially suspect foul play in the disappearance. However, this changed, sadly, when the bodies of the girls were found around noon the next day, about half a mile east of the bridge. Police have not publicly stated nor released details of how the girls were murdered. And as early as February 15th, 2017, Indiana State Police began circulating a still image of an individual reportedly seen on the Monon High Bridge trail where the two friends were murdered. The grainy photograph appears to capture a Caucasian male hands in his pockets walking on the rail bridge head down towards the girls. A few days later, the person in the photograph was named the prime suspect in the double homicide. On February 22nd, law enforcement released an audio recording where the voice of the assailant through, though in some degree muffled, is heard to say down the hill. Because... So it is not like they don't know at what point Libby started. And we don't know because the police haven't ever released that. But Libby started recording this on her cell phone. And so that's where the voice recording of the suspect saying down the hill. And I don't I'm assuming there is more to it. That's all they ever released. They said that that's enough to like get to hear the voice and say, okay, this is maybe someone that I know or someone, you know, someone's voice that I've heard before. And I remember when it was circulating on social media and they were like, listen to this, listen to it. And it, it, it is, you can kind of hear them talking, but it's very clear, like down the hill. And it was at this conference that that's where they said not only did and honestly, I'm saying this right now and I have goosebumps. The image that they released was from Libby's phone. The audio was from Libby's phone. And they said for her to be to think I need to record this. I need to take this picture like it's smart. Yeah, smart. Very, very smart. Police indicated that additional evidence from the phone had been secured, but they did not release it as to not compromise any future trial. So there's been multiple suspects or persons of interest have been named. There's never been an arrest in this case. The murderer is still at large. There's at some point we may cover this case, but it, there's so many open-ended questions. It's hard because it's cold again, it, right now. I yeah, mean, it's cold, in, but it's again when you have a case that's from Indiana, it's still <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> we're gonna hey. Uh, all the other people that live in Indiana that listen to us, there's still a murderer at large. So Yeah. Ugh. Look at the pictures, listen to the audio. I've listened to the audio so many times, like I've had nightmares about it before. That's right. Yeah, because like we, Karen and I were saying, we grew up in that area, not like specifically, but we grew up, 
we went and visited that area often. Yeah. My like, sis- we spent summers there. And yeah. like I was younger than that. I was like nine riding my bike all around Delphi. Yeah. It's such a small, safe area. I mean, I haven't been there in years, but at the time it was a very small, safe area. We have an aunt and uncle that still live there and it's a very homey place. It reminds me a lot of Hartford, but honestly, even smaller. So... <sighs> I hope that one gets solved soon. Let me uh, let you go to 2018. You're the, <laughs> the bane of your existence. I am very invested in this case. And 2018 is the murder of Shanann Watts. And she and Chris Watts's two daughters, Bella and Celeste. This case makes me so mad. Like the second it came out, I was like, that guy killed his wife and kids. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was it was absolutely one of those times where you're like, oh, the husband did it. Cause you can see, like, he doesn't look worried in those initial no, things. It's, and like, like it's very monotone fake. and like yeah. I just want him to come home. I'm like, no, you don't. You know it though. So I'll give you the deets. Around 2 a.m. August 13th, 2018, uh, Shanann had been at a Lavelle conference, which is, it's an MLM. Um, but she was there with her friend, Nicole. And her friend, Nicole, had dropped her off at their her Colorado home that she shared with Chris at about 1 or 2 in the morning. Um, the next day, Shanann had told Nicole that she had an OB appointment um, that she needed to go to because she was pregnant. Pregnant. Yes, she was pregnant. Um, and Nicole tried to get a hold of her friend and couldn't get a hold of her. And she was worried. So she showed up to her house and mm-hmm. was like looking in the house, saw the car in the garage. And she called um, Shanann's husband, Chris, at work. And she called the, the police. And Chris tried to play it off. He was like, oh, no, she's at a play date. But Nicole was like, no, she's not. Both of the kids' car seats are in the car. I can see yeah. them in the garage. Something Nicole wins the award. Right? The- Absolutely. Because at first the police were like, no, the husband. And so that's when – because like she called her parents, right? Because that's who owned the house. Yes. Yeah. She, it's Nicole's the MVP of 2018. Yeah, she wins She was like this quick about it. Like, nope, something's yeah. wrong. You're wrong. Because um, Chris wouldn't let them in the house. So she was like, you don't own this house. Yeah. So they found Shanann's car and all of her personal belongings. And the next day, the police finally declared that Shanann and the girls were missing. Um, And the Colorado Bureau of Investigation released an endangered missing person alert. And Chris's story, as I said, it started out, he's like, I just want... I don't know where they are. I want them to come home. And he was doing like media appearances and he was talking mm-hmm. to the community and everyone was pulling for him. <laughs> Guess what? It's not going to end well. Uh, investigators from like local police and the CBI and the FBI started going through his phone records. And he, dun, dun, dun. He had been having an affair uh, with some girl he worked with. So two days after his wife and daughter disappeared and he just wanted them to come home, he failed a polygraph test. And that afternoon, he told police that he would tell them the truth if he could talk to his fathers first. So they let him. And at work, Chris told his father that he had killed Shanann. And not long after that, investigators found Shanann, Bella, and Celeste's body because Chris told them where they were. And they he worked for an oil company. And it's the Anadarko Petroleum Company. But they had a site and he put... <sighs> 
Shania's body was in a shallow grave and he put the girls, little girls' bodies in like big oil tanks. And they were two and three. They were little, like little babies in these oil drums. And Shanann was pregnant with a little boy, by the way. It was a boy. He did plead guilty, but he hadn't told the actual story. But in a five hour follow up interview with investigators from prison, Chris revealed that he had been fighting with Shanann and he wanted to separate. And so he said he strangled her to death. And while he was bringing her body downstairs, Bella and Celeste woke up to ask him what was happening. And he loaded the girls into the truck with their mother's body and went to the site and he smothered them one by one. And the older one like asked him not to. The older one was like, please, daddy, don't. Like, he said that that's what she asked. And he also initially said that yeah, Shanann that was- had killed both of the little girls. Yeah, and oh, that made me so mad. Yeah, and that's why, he, that's why he killed her because he walked in and she had killed the two girls and he just – he didn't know what to do. Yeah, after – But like sh- – So she had, Shanann knew about the affair and they were trying to work through it. And there's letters that you can see where she's begging to save her marriage. And that's the part that I was. Yeah, they're like. I hate him. Yeah, he sucks. And And I will say, other than us discussing this, because it was the biggest crime case of 2018, we will never cover this case. (laughs) I will never cover it because he found ways to, he knew about the Netflix documentary. He loves, he loves. Loves the fame that he gets from this, and I will never give him that. I mean, not that we have this huge <laughs> podcast, but one day we might. I don't know, and I will never give that to him. And honestly, it's another one that's been covered in full to like people are blue in the face. Um, you can look it up anywhere. You can watch the Netflix documentary. But this guy's a piece of shit. And anyone he, who kills babies, I'm out. Especially yeah. like tiny little baby girls, because I have tiny little baby girls, and not into it. Yeah, nope. And he no. I just don't know how you could look your like kids in the eyes and do that. I don't either. And over him, him being, I, I don't, I just don't, just leave your wife. Okay? <laughs> just find a dead Leave your dad. Be a dead beat. Move away. Take your, just leave. You don't have to kill your entire family. And the piece of shit took a plea deal because they were, he was getting the death penalty. Yeah, for sure. And he, he pleaded out. So he has life in prison without possibility of parole, but he p- pleaded out like a coward because he didn't want the death penalty. Did y'all watch the like body cam footage? No, I have not. It, if you want to see the actual moment someone is thinking like, yeah, I'm screwed. It's in that body cam footage. He he didn't realize his neighbors had cameras. Surveillance, that video, yeah. yeah that video. It is 2020. All of us have cameras. It literally shows his truck pulling out at like five in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, and him loading office, her into the car. Yeah. And I, the officer's like, yeah, bro, like basically no one else came to your house but you. So how could your like wife and kids be kidnapped or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like you could he like the video was up on the neighbor's TV. Like the officer was watching it with the neighbor and with Chris and he wouldn't even look at it. He was playing on his phone. I want to shank him. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. I want to pretend to be a man, <laughs> do a crime, go to jail, do go a crime. be in the room with him, and shank him. <laughs> 
And his mistress came forward. She yeah. she was like, oh shit. And she came and was like, it's me. I'm the woman he's having an affair with and gave everything she had. Mm. And he was still trying to talk to her and stuff. And she was like, uh-uh, no way. Didn't no. he, like, what is with family annihilators, like, telling their mistresses, like, their wives are dead? Have, have y'all heard, like, found that common denominator in these cases? It's like, oh yeah, this is my first Christmas without my wife. But yeah. she's 100% alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's just um, at home and I'm not. <laughs> she's alive if, if my husband ever did that i may be alive but he would not be <laughs> well that's not how this case went down no and that is it's awful and having the kids involved not that it makes again not that it makes it any better that he killed his wife but looking at his little babies and then especially doing it one by one so the second one knew yeah, he, she had just watched her mom and her little sister. Yeah. And, and that's the one that, like, because Shanann was very much active on, like, social media and doing, like, Facebook Lives and stuff for her business. Like, her life was an open book. That's why Nicole there, knew. She was like, no, she has her phone on her all the time. Yeah, exactly. And like, a song that, like, the girls are singing about how much they love their daddy. And, like, when I heard that, like, I cried. Oh, uh, I can't even think about it. I can't even think about it. But her friend, Nicole, MVP, and I hope that if I just disappear like that and it's been like a, a little if it's been like a few hours and you haven't heard from me call the police um sometimes you go off the grid for more than a couple of hours that's true I take a like, lot of naps I t- <laughs> <laughs> like if it's four hours I'm like oh she fell asleep but yeah if it's but like if a it's whole like day, day yeah <laughs> if it's like, like a whole day and I am not watching your story because sometimes I'm not going to respond to your text because I'm laying in bed figuring out how to exist but that's my own anxiety but <laughs> But she will like your Instagram post. I will like your Instagram <laughs> post and I'll watch your stories. I may not respond to your texts or your phone calls or your FaceTimes, but... Well, you do respond when it's the question, are you alive? It's and true. And then you, I'm you like, let us know that. I do let you know. I have very... <laughs> <laughs> I have to decompress often and that's that's me. My dad uh, lives alone and I texted him one day and he didn't text me back. And he's in his 60s. So like the next day I called him and then he answered. I was like, oh, good. You're alive. Just a reminder that you live alone. And if you don't answer a text or a phone call, I assume you might be dead or on the ground. And I will call the police to have them do a wealth of check. And he's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> Please don't have to go. <laughs> I'm laughing for so many reasons our listeners will never understand. I know. That was like my biggest fear when 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 my husband was deployed that something would happen to me and like no one would know because I was by myself. I would have known. I would have known. Well, like you like took trips home and stuff. So like I, I had did. a system with my friend, like even if we weren't planning anything, just like in the morning and then the evening, just that I'm good text. So that way they know like I'm yeah. not dead. Karen can be alone and I have, I cannot, I do not do well <laughs> with that. So any chance I had, I was like, bye, <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> I need someone to talk to other than myself. <laughs> um, But yeah, hey. We're at 2019. 18. No, 2019. 19. Okay. Yeah, I see. Gotcha. Yeah. So (laughs) this one, the 2019, the case itself was discovered in 2018, but the trial in 2019 is when I first heard it rocked me. And it is the 2019 Turpin trial, aka the House of Horrors, if you haven't heard of it. It's awful. We're going from one awful case to another, to another, to another. So in January 2018, Jordan Turpin, she was 17 at the time, she used a deactivated cell phone to call 911 and reveal a horrible 
truth to the police. She and her 12 siblings were being imprisoned by their parents. She said, they abuse us and my two little sisters right now are chained up. She told the operator, they chain us up if we do things we're not supposed to. So naturally, the police show up and what they found when they arrived, the Paris, California home was a filthy dungeon complete with cages and chains. The children were unspeakably dirty and the whole place reeked of human waste. Um, She said that, Jordan said that it started with slapping and then it went to hitting and throwing throwing them around the room. The district attorney who prosecuted the case said that after the slapping, it, it aggravated to belts. At first, Luis and David whip, which are Luis and David Turpin, they whip the children with leather, the leather end of David's belt, and then using the metal buckle if they still didn't behave. Then they began using wooden paddles or an oar. None of the victims were allowed to shower more than once a year. Yeah. Man. A year. And they have teenagers. Yeah. They had, like, one of them was, like, 20, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the oldest one? My 10-year-old smells if he goes two days without showering. So I can't even... um, That level of uncleanliness being forced upon you is something that I would, I can't even imagine. Like, I can't even imagine. It's that whole situation was awful. And they, like, they only let them out at night. Yep. They... They couldn't read. Uh, Jennifer, who was like one of the sisters, she had uh, a third grade public school education. She taught her younger siblings as much as she could, but most of them hadn't gotten past the alphabet. The children were so badly fed that their growth became stunted and they suffered permanent physical and cognitive damage. But their psycho mom still frequently sent photographs of her kids to family members And the children were always smiling, well-dressed in well-dressed clothes, and just had this facade of, like, this great life. But it was a literal house of horrors. When the pictures first came out, I immediately looked up the parents on Facebook. And, like, Louise still had her Facebook picture as, like, all of her family, all well-dressed, like, in matching shirts at Disney. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what the? And it's crazy. And they do. The kids look way younger than they actually are. Yeah, and if you want to ruin your week, Google the house pictures. Don't do it. It's a trap. She's trying to trap you and to scare you. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's gross. Like like the worst case of child abuse I've ever seen. I just Yeah, it's gross. It's it so just, sad. It makes me so sad because not that they couldn't get to the point where they can lead like healthy, normal lives, but I mean, the long-term effects of maltreatment with kids, it, it's detrimental. Oh, and they and will the worst, never be yeah, like, they'll never no, they could. And We're this insane. is the type, this is the level of imprisonment they had. David and Luis moved out of the house for a while. They moved out of the house and they were still having the older kids punish the younger kids. Yeah. Ugh. And it's so... 2019 is when the trial um, happened. They both pleaded guilty to 14 felony charges, including torture, false imprisonment, child cruelty, and they were sentenced to life in prison. Um, Today, the oldest children live together. The younger children have been placed with guardians. Um, The judge in the case said that if the children end up leaving, end up leading normal lives, it won't be because of them. It will be in spite of them. So... Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. The kids look like they're 10 and they're not. But like, bravo for Jordan being like, hey. She had to climb out a window. Yeah. 
an escape. Yeah, it was crazy. Man, I would have paid, well, not not paid to see, but I couldn't imagine what those uh, child protection workers like thought when Mm -hmm. they rolled up on that house. Because fun fact at anyone, (laughs) that's what Karen does. This is like her job. So Karen, you would have went in there with like guns swinging, like you're like, all right, who did this to these kids? Well, I I, I don't do the investigations. I I handle like once the kids come into foster care. So for the most part, it's actually rare that I see the kids in the conditions like of the home. Thank God. I do like the aftermath. But like this isn't the worst case, unfortunately, that I've witnessed. But it's it's definitely up there. I don't even want to know the worst. Yeah, I don't either. Sorry. (laughs) Uh. Fortunately for y'all, HIPAA and confidentiality forbids me to tell you. So <laughs> you're safe. Thank you. It's just that I want you, to, you don't have to tell me because it's, I don't think you want people to know, but what is the longest you've ever went without showering and then times that by a year? I can't like. Well, the longest I've ever went without showering is a year. So <laughs> that's not true. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not true. I know that it's not true. No, it's not true at all. My hair gets greasy after one day. Okay. Yeah. Well, 2020, the worst year ever. Yeah. I think. I think. Yeah. No. I. I. I'm looking at 2021 with a with a new a positive outlook. New lease on life. New lease on life. Typically, not me, but I have to because this has been the worst year. And there were many cases this year. So unfortunately, we couldn't pick just one. We picked two. Two. And Meg? Okay. So my choice was the the second I have to say her name, I forgot it and I wasn't looking at it. Sorry. Okay. My choice for 2020 um, did begin in 2019, but has extended through this entire year. And that is Lori Vallow Daybell. And Chad Daybell. Uh, If you guys have not been following this fucking roller coaster, and I just spent my F word because it is a roller coaster. It is the worst. It's like so crazy. So last November, um, extended family members reported that Lori Vallow's children hadn't been seen in a while. No one had been able to talk to her son, JJ, or her daughter, Tylee. Tylee was 17. I think JJ was nine. Nine. Mm. Is that true? Nine or 10? Somewhere in there. Um, Anyways, in response, the police visited Bellow's home and they were like, you need to show us the kids or you need to go to jail and we'll give you a day to get the kids. So when they came the next day, they were gone, just disappeared. And no kids were like, they didn't show they didn't prove that they had their children. Mm. So a few months later, they found this couple in Hawaii. They were just living their best lives in Kauai. Yeah, in Hawaii. And they they did not have the children with them. So they arrested her on a five million dollar warrant in Idaho, which and here's the thing. These kids had dads and the dads were like, we want our kids. But she kept moving states and like bouncing out of states so that it, like I said, it's kind of, you could spend an entire day reading about this whole thing because it goes deeper and deeper. 
unfortunately, in June of this year, so that was 2019, the beginning of 2020, they found him in Hawaii. In June of this year, they did find JJ and Tylee's remains at her husband, Chad Daybell's house. Um, he lived on like a lot of acreage and they found, um, they found their bodies and they had, they had tried to hide it. JJ's body was well preserved. It was wrapped in like a double layer of plastic and buried under a bunch of rocks. But Tylee's mm. body was too damaged by, um, they tried to burn her and, mm. and they dismembered her and she didn't have any recognizable features because you know, she fought like hell. She was like, oh, yeah, hell. No. Yeah. Um, they only identified her via an x-ray of her jawline. That's, so, yeah. Mm. So they're both facing felony charges now. They have both pleaded not guilty, which is not true. Um, and weirdly enough, like a bunch of other people close to them have also died. So Yeah, it's a whole – don't get Megan's mom started on this case. <laughs> She will love to hear you say that because yeah, my mom she, is like deep obsessed with this case. Every you like if you're putting out YouTubes or podcasts about it, my mom's listening to them. So shout out, shout out to Paulette there. So she's going to solve the case. <laughs> Lori Vallow's brother shot and killed Vallow's estranged husband, Charles Vallow. Okay. So this is not her current husband. This is her ex-husband. And at the time, they ruled it in self-defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now they're like... But now they're like, wait a minute. And then mm-hmm. in December, that guy who had... Or Alex Cox, who had shot her estranged husband, her brother. Is this making sense? Sorry, I get, I'm saying it. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, am I making sense? Um, he died. So... <laughs> it's like the Black Widow. Yeah. But she's just a toxic poisoning. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't think it's a case. <laughs> There's so much, so much for this case. Yeah. And she did, like, she was doing it. She got their insurance money. Like, that was part of it, was that she was going to get their insurance money. How bizarre. Because the, they're doomsdayers. That's, like, another weird part of this. They, Plot like, twist. Yeah. Plot twist. Cults. <laughs> they you are, thought it was just a crazy mom. No, it's a cult. Yeah. There's a cult. She's, um... Daybell is like a fictional doomsday book author. Like he writes books about doomsday, but they fully believe that end of times is coming. And For it, them it is. <laughs> that's no shit. <laughs> uh, um, Lori Vallow believes that she is a god assigned to carry out the work of the 144,000 at Christ's second coming in July of 2020. Spoiler alert. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to predict it. Stop trying to make doomsday happen. It's not going to happen. It's never happening. So I I know that was kind of tangenty, but it's just so weird. And yeah. they are just so like, gross. I feel like that's a case that would be difficult for us to cover because that is definitely a two-parter. Yeah, it's like a 15-parter. <laughs> yeah, it's... But as developments come, we will definitely keep you guys updated. We'll just keep... Casually mentioning that Christ's Crazy second lady. coming hasn't come yet. And <laughs> hey, I'm just going to write her a letter every day like the, it hasn't happened. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Their so, trial isn't till next year, by the way. So they haven't, they are being held, but they haven't actually gone under trial yet. And because they've skipped states so many times, they're just going to sit there <laughs> and wait for the trial. I and I hope what is a hor- I think that's where the final one is. And I hope that they have a horrible time in prison. For sure. So my 
opinion for the top case, crime case of 2020, was the murder of Vanessa Gillian. We, Karen and I both have like, not personally, but we have a heavy military background. And this one, it just sucked. Well, when we talked about it initially, Karen was like, don't you mean just all of Fort Hood? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This, so on April 22nd, my son's birthday, Private First Class Vanessa Gillian, a 20-year-old service woman from Houston, disappeared from Fort Hill, I mean, Fort Hood Military Base in Killeen, Texas. She was last seen in the parking lot of her Regimental Engineer Squadron Headquarters, 3rd Cavalry Regiment, blah, 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 blah. We don't need to know about it because Fort Hood is the worst. Um, she was last seen wearing a black t-shirt and purple fitness tight pants. So the calling card for every girl who exists, exists, (laughs) her belongings, her car keys, barracks room key, wallet, and ID card were all left in the armory room where she was working earlier that day. The last text on her phone was to U.S. Army Specialist Aaron Robinson. Robinson worked in the building adjacent to where Gillian worked at Fort Hood, and it is believed that she knew of an affair that Robinson was having with a, a sol- like a former soldier, or I don't know if they consider themselves soldiers afterwards, but a former soldier's estranged wife by the name of Cecily Aguilar. This case, the police, it took forever for them to even declare her missing. And this is where like, and I, like, honestly, I'm getting a little teary eyed thinking about the videos of her sister just pleading for her, like anyone who knows information. And like, we know something happens because she had reported to her, like she had told her family previously on multiple occasions that she was the victim of sexual harassment. Um, A superior service member had walked in while she was in the shower. Um, They had made derogatory comments towards her in Spanish. And it was just, she was having a really rough time. Um, Robinson is a piece of shit. (laughs) Like that's the only way to, that's the only appropriate term to describe him, I guess. So, like I said, it's believed that Vanessa knew of an affair between Robinson and Cecily Aguilar. Um, Robinson had told Aguilar that he killed a female soldier by striking her head in the head with a hammer while at, you know, like while in the armory. Um, He, because Aguilar was arrested. They went through his phone records because the way detective work works, Robinson was her last text message. So they start looking into Robinson. Robinson's flooded text messages because they asked him like, hey, where were you the night of Vanessa's disappearance? And he was like, oh, I was with Cecily Aguilar the whole time. But his phone records showed that he was texting her the whole time. So it's like, wait a second. Oh, we thought you said you were with her. Why were you texting Exactly. So he admitted he had told because Aguilar was arrested. Like she, well, she was brought in for question, and it's like, okay, shit, like I'm, I'm gonna be in trouble for this too. So she just, she spilled it. Aguilar told him that, or told investigators that Robinson said he had killed a female soldier by striking her in the head, and that he, like, he called her for help, like Aguilar for help, and um, he transferred the woman, which we now know was Vanessa Gillian. Um, this is the part that pisses me off, Aguilar recognized Vanessa Gillian in the box that Robinson had, and she assisted in disposing of her. Ah, um, no. Yep. she. They attempted to burn her. They dismembered her. 
and then afterwards they disposed of her body. Um, they used a hatchet or like an axe type or an axe type uh, weapon to dismember her. And they put her remains in three separate holes to cover them up. They thought that they wouldn't be found like that. This whole time, the base is acting like it's not that big of a deal. Her family's on TV pleading for Vanessa. And like I said, they when they found her remains, it was heartbreaking. The hashtag I am Vanessa Gillian movement started, which if you have Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was thousands, thousands of female and male service members coming forward, like recounting their sexual harassment encounters, their sexual assault encounters. And a lot of them had nothing had been done about it. Or they were told, especially in the men's cases, that it was kind of like, this is just par for the course. And Robinson is a coward. And before the charges were formally announced against him, he killed himself. Ugh, hate when they do that. I do too. Like, I'm glad they're gone forever, but I just... Like there could no justice. There could be a whole podcast series on Fort Hood. Like in the time that they were looking for Vanessa, they found another soldier's remains that had been reported missing. His family had reported him missing a year or so prior, and Fort Hood had marked him as AWOL. So his family, they were getting no benefits. They had to, you know, they had and what they still they had determined that he was dead. Prior to them, like, saying that he was AWOL, his family still had to bury this, like, bury him with on their own dime because he was not, they were not giving him any of the military, like, the life insurance that you get because he was, quote, AWOL. And they were still fighting for that. And you can just dig into the rabbit hole of potential sex trafficking rings at Fort Hood, like, the missing soldiers, because there are a ton of missing soldiers. I'm just saying there is a uh, 4.7 out of 5 rating on Google for Fort Hood, and I call bullcrap. <laughs> Who are they being rated? Yeah. It should be rated as zero. Yeah, it's <laughs> like 4.7 out of 5 that you'll get murdered while you're there. And it's sad because, like, I obviously, I, Karen and I, we, we know a lot of service members who are not people like Robinson. But I also know a lot of service members who are, are. douchebags. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad. Like, I, I don't know how women in situations like that feel safe. And if you feel like you can't go to, if, like, you try to report it, and, like, a lot of times there's negative repercussions or you do report it and nothing happens. Like, yeah, or you report it and you're the one that has to be moved, or you're the one that has to change yeah. your whole life and your it's whole MOS. And yep. And it goes, I'm going to branch out and say, like, it's not even just service member to service member. I mean, maybe there are certain times when the a wife reports something like that. And it's literally like, oh, we're going to let you take care of this at your level, boss. Like, we're just going to mark this as a disturbance. I mean, I'm not speaking from experience or anything, or maybe I am. <laughs> but it is one, yeah, it is one giant boys club that can be very disgusting. And like I said, I say that, uh, like, with the, prim- like, we, I know a lot of amazing people who are in the military, like the best people I've ever met. But I also know some of the shittiest people I've ever met have also been in the military. So <sighs> there are good rant. and bad in everything. But like, yeah, if, I agree. If you 
if you allow the bad to be perpetuated, then you're part of the problem. Like yeah, if you if turn you, a blind eye to it. There were 14 high-ranking officials from that base fired or suspended because of this. Good. Because it was such a big deal. And they have launched a lot of the senator, like Ted Cruz, he was one of them. They launched like formal investigations to be like, okay, what the hell is going on at Fort Hood? Because there is a doing as it should be like something obviously needs to change because I was looking and Fort Hood out of all the army posts in the country has the most service members that get felonies. <laughs> so not even misdemeanors. It's like felony like arrests is at Fort Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's it's, in the water, but no, like there's like calls to have the entire base shut down, which I back. I mean, like I back. Makes sense. Yeah. So that was it. That's the going to end 2020. I Top 10 of that. the decade by gruesome, by yeah. the gruesome twosome plus one. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if any of these cases we didn't elaborate on enough or you're like, hey, I want to know more about that, please let us know. And with the exception of Chris Watts, we will cover whatever you ask. Because <laughs> that guy is a... I s- feel very strongly about head. that. Ugh. It will never happen. Um, but yeah, we hope everyone had happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. And here's to literally it's the, this episode will come out the day before this shitty year is over. So (laughs) we look forward to seeing you in 2021 and next year. We'll see you guys then. See you next year. Bye. 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 That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to gruesome true crime with me, Connie. And Meg, we appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.